In this episode, we talk about a movie that follows an age-old Hollywood proverb. If you want to make a sequel to a popular film, hire a first-time director who never saw the original! Music! everybody welcome to the new world podcast where we talk about every movie released by new world pictures i'm ryan with me as always is mark i am here and erica Hi-ya! Cha-cha-cha! <laughs> and tonight we are so excited we are thrilled even to talk about a important film to everyone who has ever seen it death sport you are condemned to death sport in the year 3000. All freedoms are crime. There is just one penalty. Death sport. David Carradine and Claudia Jennings are super warriors. I am my only master. Lovers imprisoned and separated with only one chance for survival. Fight me. I'll see you both in hell. The future war on wheels, fought astride high-powered death machines with blasters and laser guns. I can survive your death spot. There are no Olympic Games, World Series, or Super Bowls. There is only death sport. Yes, we are talking about 1978's death sport release in October 1978. Actually... Just a few movies, in fact, one movie removed from The Evil. Ooh. So that's where the same year this came out. So firing on all cylinders, New World was in Big 1978. Year. Big year. Big now, year. Um, Big. Big year. For we have you if you have been listening to this podcast from the beginning, you will remember that episode number two, we talked about Death Race 2000. If you are not aware. You are now aware that we talked about Death Race 2000 in episode number two. Now, this is a sequel to Death Sport, which may be lost. Death Race 2000. Sorry. Sorry. Yes. Let me say that another way. Death Sport is a sequel to Death Race 2000. Got it. Nailed it. And uh, that, uh, see, why I'm confused is because if you've watched both movies, you might be confused that they're sequels. But this is uh, basically the sequel to Death Race 2000. This is the sequel to Death Race 2000? Um, um, yes, this it is. is the intended sequel to Death Race 2000. So wow. that brings me to an important question. What is this movie about, Mark? So I'm going to be very literal about this because okay. I think it's important. So... Here's what the movie is about. A thousand years from tomorrow, after the great neutron wars, the world consists of desert wastes and isolated city-states. A few machines remain as a reminder of the past, 
but only the city-dwelling statemen use them. Between the cities roam the dreaded cannibal mutants and the range guides. Guides are legendary warriors leading an independent nomadic life, owing allegiance only to their code. So, if you're like me, and you have PTSD of not paying attention to the beginning of Dune, and then being like, I'm talking about David Lynch's Dune, sure. and, you're, and you found yourself going, wait a minute, I should have paid attention to that open monologue. Ever since then, I have paid attention to the open monologue. In this case, you don't have to pay attention because this movie is not about any of that. <laughs> what it's about, I have no idea. Thank I've you. read the IMDb description, the Wikipedia <laughs> description, and every time I've said to myself, huh, is that what it's about? Yeah. I had no idea. Were you surprised to find out that uh, Triton, uh, or Helix is planning war on Triton for their fuel supply? Would that be... <laughs> Is that to you? Because it was me after watching the movie, but then reading that on Wikipedia. (laughs) I hung my hat. I hung my hat on the mutants, which never show up. They they play a a bit role. I was like, "Ooh, mutants! Okay, cool." But no, I had no idea there was a battle. I had no idea that there were uh, guides uh, that were taking people. I, I, you can anyone who breezes over that intro and goes, wait, what happened? Don't worry. Doesn't matter. Move on. <laughs> yep. Yep. Now I had written down that whole explanation too. I, I had written it down because I couldn't find the clip, but you did. So congrats. But I had written it down because I feel like that information is very much the same as you. I found it very surprising to go back and watch that beginning and go, oh, okay. He's a guide and that, Okay. So he's out there in the wastelands. There's also the mutants in the wastelands. And then there are these guides. That is not clear at all in the movie. None of this information is clear in the movie. We only see uh, Triton very briefly. Uh, and the and other city, we only see because it's like a, a, a college. <laughs> like a, no, that's Triton. But isn't the other city just like when they go to, uh, he looks- obviously like, like uh cal arts in california cal arts is like triton that's right you never see a map painting you never no. see it as a know. city you just like... see the cal arts campus <laughs> but uh the <laughs> this movie does nothing to establish itself at <laughs> yeah. any point that also we have to say just for people that have not seen this that opening monologue comes over just these uh, amorphous lights and shapes like you're staring inside of a lava lamp really <laughs> and at the very end it, it 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 cuts away to a dude on a horse right which is david carrie doesn't feel futuristic nope. nor does it place us anywhere in this world he's on a horse shirtless with like a giant cloak on and a hood over most of his face so you don't really quite even know it's david carradine um erica what is this movie about um i so as someone who didn't pay any attention to the opening monologue um (laughs) you don't need to (laughs) i didn't feel lost my expectations were zero um i was looking forward to this um in the fact that while i do enjoy movies about death 
I do not enjoy sports. And I was happy to see that it was um, neither of both <laughs> until certain points, but we'll get there. I, I really thought this movie was about how the future is basically going to be the past. It's going to mm. be um, basic fashion. We're going to ride horses. We're going to use swords. We're going to have sword fights. I mean, it was basically like the year 3000 is basically the year, you know, one i don't know i'm not gonna you know at a time when like horses and fights were popular that's what we're going back to so there's gonna be like futuristic jail cells that's gonna be very futuristic right but the entertainment of the future is gonna be very barbaric that's what i learned now for my part uh both of these are very uh are, are, are perfectly great but for me this movie and again, you have to just ignore this opening monologue because check it, and it's mate. useless. It's it not only confusing; it really it's it gets ignored by the movie itself. So for me, I feel like this movie is about one man getting revenge for his horse being vaporized. Mm. So yeah. I think that's a fair that's a fair plot. Now he has to go a great distance to get this revenge. He, but that it, was a damn good horse. He had a nice horse. And when the death machines, which are Yamaha motorcycles with a bunch of aluminum built onto them to make them really clunky, and they're driving on dirt, so it doesn't make sense because they're city bikes. But anyway, um, <laughs> when they drive up... They would, they, would, they would call them road bikes. Road bikes, yes. And they, they fire their lasers. Didn't they will not? These death machines will not use their lasers again. But they do use their lasers to shoot poor uh, David, excuse me, Carradine's horse and uh, destroys his horse. And that is how he is captured. Um, that's the opening of our movie is them trying to capture David Carradine. And then they do. Uh, so that is. I would say, though, that one of the things that you're also touching on is um, you need to know when to use your lasers. Know when not to laser. Make the song a little bit different. Stay out of copyright laws. We're fine. <laughs> We're fine. I changed it enough. We're fine. We're good. We're good. Because one of the things that is a theme of this movie is people have lasers. Yeah. But they only use them sometimes. Yeah. They only like, need them sometimes. With that. No, and they need there are there and to use them. <laughs> there are ample motorcycle chase battles. Sometimes they use a laser. Sometimes they use a sword. Sometimes they just run. Sometimes they use a net. Sword. But if you had a motorcycle with a laser, wouldn't you shoot it all the fucking time? Wouldn't you just be laser, 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 laser? Hey, laser, laser, laser. Why would you be like, nah, I'm going to wait on this one. I think my buddy who has a net might be a better, more effective, <laughs> more effective foe in this chase. Well, they had, to bring, sense. they had to bring David Carradine in alive. That was one thing that was said by our villain, Richard Lynch, who starts out the movie. Uh, I think he even has the first character line of the movie. Um, and he is being, he has to bring in some of these range guides. He's plays Ankar Moore, who, uh, killed, uh, David Carradine's mother, uh, O'Shea. And he plays Cat right. O'Shea, 
and he brings in the guys to be a part of this exciting game of death sport, a game of which rules don't really seem to apply much, but we'll get there. Let's first, my first impression of this movie outside of David Carradine getting caught and how I knew we were in for a real interesting ride was to listen to the movie's score, which I think sounds a little bit like this. Now, if that sounded like I was just rolling my hand up and down over a keyboard, you would be absolutely correct. That was exactly hold on. What I was hold doing. on. We have the score. Let's let's play it really quick. Let's play it. Let's play it. Now, see, the difference on that is that they're using the pitch bend wheel. Yes, mm. yes, yes. Mm. Uh, now, I couldn't, I couldn't get some of the score from the very early part of the movie, um, but where that kind of sound is more prevalent, that particular scene, it, where that score is taken from, is when uh, Lord Zerpala, played by David McLean, where he uh, just starts having a massive migraine, Mm-hmm. In his chambers, for, as you as it happens sometimes. Well, it's just the stress that comes from being a lord. It's it's moments like this movie with the score, which I have to say is uh, by Andy Stein, does the score. Um, he also writes the score for Hollywood Boulevard, and I believe another another movie as well, Thunder Thunderbolt and Lightning, I think. But somewhere nestled in this score are guitar riffs from Jerry Garcia. Yes. Thunder, thunder and the, Lightning. The Jerry Garcia. Thunder and Lightning, pardon me. Um, it's hard to find where those guitar bits are, but the score in the credits is by whatever this guy's name is that you just said, who I already forgot. Andy Stein, just, yes. Just, is no, a- it, it's lost like the intro to the movie. I, I already lost it. <laughs> yeah. And Andy Garcia. Jerry Andy Garcia. Garcia? Andy Garcia. <laughs> God, what a snack. Oh. <laughs> you really can't do it all. God, I didn't know that Andy yeah. Garcia was in The Grateful Dead. That's amazing. Yeah, and he wrote the score to this movie. Like, uh-huh. he was really busy, like, studying acting, probably doing some of his early roles <laughs> yeah. at the time, but also was like, hey, I'll do a score. You know, I'll. What the heck? I. Real quick. I got it. Alan Arkish on the uh, on the commentary says that he got he asked Jerry Garcia for just like a bunch of like riffs, and he gave him like a bunch of riffs, and then I believe they then synthesized those riffs, which is why you cannot tell where any of those where they are. You do not. I don't know what Jerry Garcia is doing, or Andy Garcia for that matter is doing. <laughs> both of what they've done is just so well done that i cannot tell where it lands in the film both of them were known are known for subtlety and this movie really shows off 
their subtle creativity right. that they both have. It was really my biggest problem with Godfather Part 3, because I was like, why doesn't he also write the score? <laughs> when you hear a score like this one, though, it does make you understand a little bit about why Corman used the score for Battle Beyond the Stars, like for almost every other movie that he released. Because Truly, truly. Okay, once you guess, you get it. Once you get it. Ugh. you get a good score i guess you'd need to utilize it otherwise you're just gonna get a score like this particular one um of course so now when starting to watch this movie maybe you didn't even think about death race 2000 erica but did you nope not once would would it surprise (laughs) you to know that the director who uh goes under a pseudonym for this but his real name is nick nicephore uh, would it surprise you to know that he had never seen Death Race 2000? No. <laughs> would, would it surprise you if you learned that he had never actually seen any New World Pictures movie before? No. He had never seen Roger Corman's movies. He had never seen a David Carradine movie. He had never seen a Claudia Jennings movie. It feels very familiar. <laughs> so then I need to ask, is there a cut of this movie that is sort of like the Exorcist Dominion version of Death Sport that's real uh, visceral? It's a lot of talking. It's mostly ethereal shots. I does that exist somewhere? I don't know. I'm going to say probably no for one. But as we get into the corner, the research corner, we'll we'll, we'll go over uh, some of the changes and some of the things that happen in this movie and make it sort of infamous. Uh, but uh, considering it started with Nick Nicephore, he shot the movie initially. Then Alan Arkish came on and directed a lot of reshoots and uh, attempted to re-edit the movie and make the movie make more sense, add lots more explosions and action, uh, more nudity, and... Explosions, action, and nudity always make a movie make more sense. But you can see part of what Nick Nicephore was doing, which is a lot of the beginning part of the movie, because we have basically, I think, four parts of the movie. We have our opening, which oh, is... Oh, should I take notes? Hold on. Yeah, we gonna please, paper? please take some notes. Hold on, I'm gonna write class, this in this box. Class, open okay. up your your. This is a this is a rare four point four chapter movie, right? Four, right. Four this chapters. Ignores, okay, ready? Well, is this really ignores the three act structure and goes for four? Our first uh, act is uh, the opening where uh, David Carradine gets captured. Then the second is our imprisonment section. Slow down. Captured. Slow down. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, Sorry. I'm taking notes here. Imprisonment. Our third uh, section. Uh, is death sport death uh-huh. okay sport. yeah and death the fourth part sport sport death sport okay got it sport and the fort. fourth part is the duel the duel ah 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 the port ah, and the it. duel now some would say the duel is really part of the third act but I would say that and we'll get there let's not jump jump to it but uh, I will say I think the duel is long enough to warrant its own act because it is is quite long for all that really happens in it. But when once uh, David Carradine is captured, he is brought to Helix and he is mm-hmm. put into a room that uh, 
definitely doesn't look like a, a very cheap set. Um, and we have a long imprisonment section. And this is where he meets Claudia Jennings. Mm-hmm. And they have a bonding moment. Mm-hmm. They speak sort of very poetically and philosophically at one another. Mm-hmm. Of course. And they meet each other in prison. It's common in prison. Yeah. Very yeah. common. Once you make that eyeball to eyeball contact, the sure. rest is just. Because they can at least see each other, see through a little bit of hole in the door. Yeah. But what they also find out. Not, not, not a glory hole. No. Just a hole. Yeah. Like, like an eyeball hole. Like eyeball. very different. Yeah. I just want to be clear in case anyone gets the wrong impression of this Mo- movie. Probably everyone it thought is that. I, I... Everyone <laughs> probably thought that. So that's a good... Eyeball hole, not a glory hole. Yeah. Different. No, that's important to say. Uh, more like Because a- honestly, this movie, with the exception of the nudity, should have been rated G. Yeah. There is no language. There's no yep. blood. The, the violence is fairly TV tame. Mm-hmm. So, but there's just happens to be full bush nudity. Yeah. Correct. So. Correct. Um, once we're in the imprisonment, they also find out that the room itself can electrocute and do sound wave torture. What is, well, how does I that thought, work? Well, here's the thing. We've all been in quarantine for a long time. Sure. And there's a lot of pop-up in-home strip clubs that are opening up lately. Mm-hmm. Oh, so many. And, and I think this is, again, a cautionary tale of hiring a proper electrician. Because, mm. you know, you get the set. It looks great. You got the, mm-hmm. you got the drop lighting. Yep. You've got some neon. But if you don't ground those wires correctly, uh-huh. you can kill your talent. Yeah. And that's I'm what surprised. this movie shows. Yeah. I'm surprised everybody wasn't electrocuted the evil style. Exactly. Instead, a bunch of people caught on fire. You know what I mean? Uh, if you yeah. love watching people catch on fire, this is the movie for you. That should have been on one of the posters. Now I'm Hey you, you love people catching on fire? Let's go. Death's port. <laughs> this is for you. Drive on up, toot toot, pull on up to Death's Port. Park right over here. Are you are you saying Death's Port or yeah, Death's right. Port? That's what it's called, right? Death's Port. Oh, you're not wrong at well, all. Well, of course, though, Mark, you were referencing, and Erica, you were also referencing, the sort of stripper torture room that Lord Zerpala uses later on. But I'm talking about the initial uh, inside of David Car- Carradine's cell and also uh, in the alternate or the cross-the-hallway cell of Claudia Jennings. They can also get zip-zapped in those rooms, too. But... Lord Zerpala, who definitely, you talk about quarantine, mm-hmm. he has an office that he's also sleeping in because mm-hmm. there's a bed in the back. So yeah. this is truly, they are in lockdown still that's here why in the he year 3000. That's why he was getting those migraines because he has no separation of work-life balance. Exactly. Nope. He is just Mm-mm. work, 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 work. He's got his desk and then he's got his bed right behind yeah. him. And then I imagine in the same room, across room, he has his little stripper torture space, uh-huh. which just has... Yeah has these sort of loose poles that are lighted up and as you say are just basically a uh elect- electrician's nightmare you know yeah. and, and no and- i mean you 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 said i mean he's been in quarantine and it's now what uh 30 20 because it's two thousand dollars two thousand years 
or twenty or dollars uh, after tomorrow. Uh, and I, it was not lost on me watching this movie. I was like, oh shit, this is where we're going. I've got to buy a horse. And I've got to buy a mid seventies Yamaha motorcycle because yeah, right. that this is all that I have in front of me. And you've uh, got to grab, you know, a sturdy leather belt, cut the arms off of a bathrobe, tie it around your neck, get a diaper, swipe it, you know, between the old legs there, get some way ahead of you on that one. I'm already hair out. You're ready to go. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. It's uh, uh, the future is bleak uh, for all of us. If you're watching death sport, <laughs> essentially in this prison, they attempt to escape. And uh, they don't escape. They end up back into more torture rooms. There's a good yes. section in this movie that's just about torture. And was that one of the chapters? I can't remember. We're in Shoot. chapter let two. Me, let me so we're just, in chapter two. We're let in me chapter... go back to my notes. Oh, rough you, guys are going, you guys are going to fail this test. Shoot. I can only... Imprisonment <laughs> is where we're at. Okay. All right. Papers okay, ruffling. Papers the... ruffling. Erica doesn't have it. So... Oh, boy. You guys are going to fail. I don't... So they have like yet another torture sequence, and that is then how we get to cha- to part three, Death's Port. Mm-hmm. 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 Which they try to establish that this is a game, and this is a thing that we do, and it's very loosely established, and you're really just like, okay, now we're just going to ride motorcycles and shoot lasers indiscriminately. Like, sometimes we'll shoot them... Because they have hand lasers, but they don't right. shoot everyone with the laser. Why would you not shoot everyone with the laser? But sometimes they do, and sometimes they're like, no, 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 we'll hide behind this rock. Just shoot the laser. You have a hand laser. That's part of the port. That's part, that's part of the port. That's part of the fun of a port. Yeah, when do they... I mean, I didn't see them ever box anything up in order to be shipped out from Death's yeah. Port. <laughs> There was, yeah. there was literally nothing put on. T- There's nothing lifted and yeah. put on to a ship. So maybe it's death sport. And that was part of the sport of it was you use your laser. And then you try to get crafty and, you know, make a run for it. Use a rock, you know, shine a bright light from a mirror in the sun into someone's eyes. You know, I don't know. That didn't happen, but maybe. <laughs> in death sport. I don't know. Do you guys recall this? That basically it has replaced the death penalty. You you would not know that from the large amount of torture that happens inside the prison, but uh, you you gain your freedom by winning death sport, and I suppose that that only means that the main key to the game is just do not die during it. Hmm. But the rules, which Alan Arkish will easy, he admits quite openly. Uh, in the director's commentary, they never really define what the rules are. Now, if you remember when we watched Death Race 2000, we start that movie off, like, right off the bat with uh, our uh, with the real Don Steele telling you yeah. all the rules about what an yeah. amazing game this is, and here are the rules of the game. It is very well thought out. Well done. And then, uh, and in this, uh, I don't know, the uh, uh, Lord Zypher can just blow things up, uh, uh, oh, sorry, Lord Zerpala, pardon me, pardon me, Lord Zerpala. He can just explode things. The death machines come in there, which are just the motorcycles. You just have to, I don't know, not get killed by them. They don't bother to shoot their lasers, as Mark was saying. So 
that sort of ups your chances a little bit. But the first guy that goes in before our two guides, before Carradine and Claudia Jennings, he seems to win right away. And then they go, look at this guy. You can survive death's port. Then you get to move on and gain your freedom. But like, he didn't have to live long. He didn't have to stay in the game long at all. Where when once David Carradine and Claudia Jennings go on, it goes on for a while. There's a lot of explosions. They sent a lot of guys but out they there. they knew Carradine. The first guy was just your run-of-the-mill bandit eligible for the death sentence. Mm. And David Carradine is, you know, this handsome, long-haired, you know, B.A. Just... Handsome. All right. Falling handsome. In... Mm. Oh, are we not? Mm. Well, in death, when we talk about death race, you explicitly said you didn't think that David Carradine was very good looking. But I mean, he wasn't I bad. Don't, oh, okay. I don't. Oh, okay, pardon me, pardon me. Generally, I, yes. Okay. He is Got cast it. as the sex symbol, is what yeah. she's saying. Yes. Got yes. it. Got it. Got it. Generally, again, uh, assumed to be attractive by he's the not general my cup populace. of Carradine tea, but you know. <laughs> you you prefer the dad? <laughs> What's but, the dad's but, name? Stacy? Stacy Carradine? John Carradine, I believe. <laughs> oh, that's a good call. That's a love letters callback right there. Hey, Always. everyone. Always. <laughs> You always want to make about the keech. Yep. But I would say that if Real Don Steele was setting the guidelines for this movie, I would love it more. Oh, yeah. I, it really needed a Real Don Steele to kind of uh, make this this whole thing work. Not that just... Which is why... Not that one guy saying that one small paragraph of uh, exposition at the very, very tip top and then never coming back ever again to help you out with right. that the rest exactly followed with that horse <laughs> yeah, he must have he was he was the horse that was the horse yeah, that was the horse telling us how it all yeah, worked like, you notice yeah. when the camera pans down and you see dave you see david carradine on the horse the horse is actually talking you didn't know <laughs> it was, like, it was he, a mr ed moment that they dropped into the movie that was very subtle yeah in the year 3000 you don't think to Horses have figured out how to talk. Yeah. You're an idiot. Come on, it's year two thousand again. Uh, in twenty five hundred. Again, the, the the original director. What is his name again? You say it so well, Nick Nicephor. Yeah, he's like the Paul Schrader of deaths. <laughs> oh, art. So he's he's making it very subtle and very artsy. He wants an artsy movie out of this. Uh, he was seemingly to trying to make a very artsy movie. But once they get into Death Sport, they actually bust out and get free. And then they are chased by the death machines. <laughs> death machines! Now, uh, I thought the sound... What was interesting about Death Race 2000 is that... Uh, there it is! It's one of the easiest things to try to get a to, to pull from the movie in terms of trying to get a clip because it is played all the time, every it's other minute. Relentless. And if you remember like how excited Corman was, he was very excited about the undercranked camera in Death Race 2000 that made the cars look like they were going faster. That was not utilized in this film 
No. Sound, however, was utilized instead to give you the illusion that these motorcycles were driving at such incredible speeds. But it's very, the only thing you need to figure out that they aren't uh, driving at incredible speeds is your own eyeballs. Because to look at them is to know that they are not going, they're going as fast as they can, Mm -hmm. but not that fast. All right, so they actually use the sound of the TIE fighter when they get down to the section that was filmed in San Pedro. So that's the sound that they use when they go underneath, when they go into like some sort of tunnel and they do any sort of round, they do the TIE fighter. And the reason why they actually get that sound, I have to think, is from the fact that one of the... um, I see where this where I have this note. One of the guys who did the uh, sound effects is actually a guy who worked on Star Wars. Oh, really? Yeah, he actually he did an uncredited work on Star Wars. I want to see. I want. I can't see where I had this note. So he worked on Star Wars and this movie. He worked on Star Wars as an uncredited sound effects editor, and then which is in '77, and then he went and worked on this. So also oh. you can kind of hear a little bit of Darth Vader's mask when they open the doors. Huh. But the TIE fighter sound, I hope you hear it. Some of this in their family. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, the TIE fighters, when they go through the tunnel, and Richard L. Anderson was an uncredited sound effects editor on the original Star Wars. Well, you know what, Richard? We're going to credit you here. You are credited as far as I'm concerned. Well, he's definitely credited on this one. He was uncredited oh. on Star Wars. Um, let's go ahead and chew that ice. Let's get into it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, oh god, that <laughs> ice is so delicious. Mm. I can't, I can't eat ice. We got really... our own Richard right here, uh-huh. just adding all of his own sound effects. Mm. So, if you want to say that the second part, imprisonment, was Nick Nicephor's part of the movie and contribution to the movie, I could say that Alan Arkish really takes over when it comes to part three here, Death's Port, uh, because they blow up a lot of motorcycles. Mostly, we just blew up motorcycles. Lots of them. (laughs) I want to just have that clip be a part of everyday life. (laughs) When I'm in a meeting at work, to be like, (laughs) So, did you get that thing done? Mostly, we just blew up motorcycles. <laughs> Lots of them. Guys, hey, how's, the you... project? how's the project coming? Mostly, we just blew up motorcycles. Lots Guys, of them. Guys, we're stuck here. Does anybody have an idea to move this project forward? Mostly, we just blew up motorcycles. Hey, great idea. I'm going to do that and add some nudity. (laughs) Hey, did you guys spend enough time on this part of the project? Mostly, we just blew up motorcycles. Lots of them. (laughs) feel like you guys are only doing one thing. Mostly, we just blew up motorcycles. We get it. We get it. We get it. Thank you for for coming to the Zoom call. we just blew up motorcycles. Lots of them. Mostly, we just blew up motorcycles. We get it. Got it. Okay. Why did we invite him to the meeting? He's the worst. Now, uh, in this section, which is Deathsport, and is mainly uh, Carradine and and, uh, Claudia Jennings getting chased, 
we do have some conclusions to some other strange uh subplots to this movie that i'm not sure were interesting they were certainly confusing uh, well, in the very beginning, a little girl gets kidnapped. We ignore that for a right. good half hour. Not forever. And then all it's like, oh, wait, we got to save that girl. Right. They do save her. And there's a cave mutant scene, which is maybe where you're going with this. Sure. Well, I was just going to say that they do save her. There's also the death of uh, our Lord, the the king of the whole uh, of the of the city, Lord Zerpola, David McLean's role, he dies, though he is told in the beginning uh, that he has a disease and he's going to die by Dr. Uh, Carl. Yeah. And Dr. Carl and his son, Marcus, <laughs> are... You mean, you mean Lord Zerpola has a doctor named Carl? Doc, he's yeah. Dr. Carl! His do- he's <laughs> Dr. Carl. His Carl's his last name. I think I can't remember what his first name is. I think it's... But it seems like... It seems Carl. like... If you're going to call Carl. someone Zerpola, then be like, what do we call the doctor? Bleh, Carl. Yeah, Dr. All Carl. Right. And Marcus Carl, his All son, right. that- who helps them try to escape the first, the first time he tries to help them with the imprisonment because he dresses up like one of the statement. But, uh, and so they, so he tells him he's going to die. He says, uh, forget you. I'm going to put you in death port because uh, you're docked in death's port. Uh, for giving me this information that I might die. Because in the future, we still don't trust doctors. <laughs> right, right, right. He's a liar who needs to be condemned to death. <laughs> You're telling me that I might die soon? To de- You're going to die first. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'll see you in hell. You'll be there first, then me. <laughs> and then he tries to uh, tell, he, he speaks up to Ankar Moore, Richard Lynch. And then instead of there being any comeuppance for Lord Zerpala, he ends up going back and retreating to his stripper torture room mm-hmm. with some other girl who he then tries to torture and then she pulls him into the torture room and then he dies? They save the little girl from the mutants and then we completely forget Where's the any girl? of that. Like, Where's the- it doesn't matter. That happens we right check, after. Check the box. We saved the girl she may have died on the way back. She may have been, uh, 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 she may have not been fed or had any water. Doesn't matter. We saved her. Technically, she was alive. She was, and we... a, she was like in a like a like a hamster cage. Oh, my favorite part! I was just about to say that my favorite part about that rescue of this intense, important rescue of this little girl is that she's in a cage where literally they just <laughs> lift the handle and the door opens. <laughs> like, oh, I know it is arguably thinner than the cage that I put my dogs in when we travel. It, it was like one step above birdcage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they have just a little straw at the bottom as yeah. though that's going to add comfort. And they just lift it up like a birdcage. And they're like, get out of here. It's okay. And, and I love uh, the little girl uh, was like, thank you. I love you. <laughs> yeah. I don't... <clears throat> like, these are cannibal mutants. So why do they not eat the little girl? Are they just keeping her in that tiny cage to like tenderize the meat like you would a veal or something I feel like, like they that? Had what were they there doing? To, like teach her how to whistle maybe, you know, like teach her some tricks. That's maybe right. Maybe put her on their shoulder. Do you think maybe like they kind of bonded with her a little bit and teach, trying to teach her the tricks? She, she sort of became almost like a pet yeah, to them? Yeah, she was their pet. With their little bulgy eyes? Yeah. There's not enough of it. We don't know enough about this movie to, I, I mean, guess we'll just have to wait for the third one, you know? 
There actually was planned to be a third one. There was a plan to be death. There was planned to be Death World. Oh, did they make that. God. They did make that movie because this movie was not. Oh, perhaps this would be a great time for our benefactor to identify him or herself and allow us some funds to help the three of us create Death, death World. World. <laughs> um, to go Can back go? To, to those mutants, here's a, just a tiny fun fact. One of the mutants that. Oh, it's a fun fact. Fun fact. Let's this... have fun <laughs> with facts. Um, I don't know if this exists uh, in any. This is the first time I've ever encountered this, but one of the mutants that Claudia Jennings killed, and one of the stuntmen in the movie is a gentleman by the name of Chris Howell. And his son. You might know him as C. Thomas Howell, who is the lead of Soul Man. So we have a father-son appearing in uh, New World Pictures. Oh, Soul Man. Yeah. (laughs) Man. Kind of makes us talking about death support not so bad. (laughs) 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 One day we're going to have to go down that road. (laughs) <laughs> anyway 2022 i'm looking at you yeah I'm excited we might be talking about soul man push it off push it off and push it off and push it off push it off and push it off and push it off push it off and push it I was in death sport for just, a second. Just scored that whole moment. Um, so let's get to part four, the duel. The duel. We do hit the clip. Now we will have our duel. I agree. With or without your death machines. Without. At long last, we finally have the duel. Of course, David Carradine yells at him in the beginning to go by the code, which we hear about a little bit in that. Opening monologue, which you have already forgotten about because you forgot all about that opening monologue. Um, but what? I, they did, they did. Uh, oh. Alan Arkish says that they did. Uh, somebody yelled out in the theater when they had that moment. Says now it's time for us to duel, and somebody yelled out about time because yes. this, is, this movie has been building for the oh. entire time. I love whoever yelled that out, and it is a very long duel as duels go, in that. There is not a lot that happens in the duel because the last ending moment is pretty quick and decisive. Like, who wins the duel? But boy, does it take its sweet time getting there. Yeah, and plus, they're they're playing with plastic swords. And I know that the director's commentary talks about the fact that the sword would release from the handle uh, when they swung it. But even without that, let's say that, that the, the, the plastic sword was well grounded into the handle. It's really hard. Like what I, I honestly love this scene because they I uh, they shot Ooh, it really well. Oh. It's not the things I loved. Oh, okay. But it's, it's a runner up. Who cares then? <clears throat> because they shot it really well for the fact that seeing two plastic swords hit each other, anyone in the audience would laugh. It looks, it's going to look terrible, but yet they do a good job of close-ups and swinging, but not seeing the clash of the two swords together. And I kind of admired, I was watching it like, this is well choreographed given that we know you're using plastic swords. We know that if, that if we see them, the, the swords hit each other, it'll look really stupid. 
and you've still made a pretty convincing sword fighting scene, albeit a bit long, but it's pretty convincing. Um, all right, so let's get into things we loved and things we hated. Uh, Mark or uh, Erica, let's start with Erica. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah, let's do it. Loved. Oh, things that I loved. I loved every single time someone caught on fire because it was so many times. There were many people that got lit on fire. The titty count was so low; it was only four, and so I started four my different. Own- Four different or just four scenes of nudity? Four scenes of nudity. Got it. I was about to say, four because Claudia Jennings, who is, of course, two. She's, she's, she's naked twice in yeah. that movie. She's two of the four. Um, and, and she's wonderful and glorious and looks gorgeous. Um, so I started to keep a tally, a personal tally of how many times people were caught on fire or who were lit on fire or, or who were part of an explosion that resulted in them being on fire. And it was terrific. It was terrific. That was things I loved. Mark, things you loved. Uh, every scene that Richard Lynch was in. Yes. Because he is carrying this movie. I mean, I look, David Carradine does a great job when he's trying to break out of the prison and he commits to like putting himself fully horizontal to kick the door. And according to the director's commentary, like really hurt his knee. I was like, kudos to you. Like, you know, you're in a new world picture <clears throat> and yet you're going to commit to that. Yeah. But Richard Lynch is like working his ass off. And I felt like the whole time his character and what he was doing was really just leading up to him preparing for the character of Volkov in episode 15 of Thunder in Paradise, where he plays like kind of a Russian uh, bad guy. And, you know, he's trying to kill a senator, but, you know... (laughs) Spence and Brew, they've been hired to protect the senator, so they're going to get in his way. You guys didn't watch Thunder in Paradise with Hulk Hogan and Chris Lemon? Uh, now, Richard Lynch, made a, he, made a, he made a career out of playing villains, and, and partly is because uh, he has truly scarred skin from the oh. fact that he decided to take acid in the late 60s and set himself on fire. What? In the back of the, uh, the New York Met. What? Yeah. So the, can we add that as like part of the fire count for Dustmore? <laughs> yeah. I thought you were just amazed with the fact that he did it. Yeah, that's another <laughs> add to the count. That should add to the count. Holy moly. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 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 That gets added. Yeah, that was basically, uh, you could call it pre-production. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he he huh. decided to light himself on fire um uh, that's wild so uh my favorite so favorite things from me um oh sorry no one sorry, asked ryan? things i love ryan ryan, ryan fa- things you loved ryan uh he'll never okay let us, so he'll never right, let come on this. ryan yep. we really care about things well, you love no one asked me but um Shoot. i guess i'll just go ahead and do it i um uh i loved a little bit mostly, of mostly we just blew up motorcycles <laughs> lots of them. mostly um, we just I, blew up motorcycles I, we know okay, we know we know um, so the movie actually had some very nice moments of poetry. Can I just point out, uh, Richard, or, uh, Richard, Jesus, David Carradine's first line, like sand in the wind, keep moving. Something, uh, to, think about, something to think about. David Carradine was married five times. So when he says poetry, clearly some <laughs> panties are dropping. Okay. Yeah. He, he said that line because he spent a weekend with Andy Garcia <laughs> When you spend a weekend with Andy Garcia, uh, there's another line that uh, uh, Richard Lynch, which 
Stan is like a candle. He must radiate life by burning himself, which maybe he was talking about his own situation. Wow. Probably. <laughs> and then Claudia Jennings says, everything is within the self. Nothing is outside. She spoke that she in was the- so hopped up on cocaine in that movie, though. And, and a- that's when she was and making vodka. That's when she was making eyes with Carradine, though. In she the was. Jail cell. Yeah, that's right. She was like, let's talk real quick. If I can (laughs) talk about something I loved, let's talk about Will Walker uh, as Marcus, the doctor's son, because he is quite an actor. Let's hit that first clip. Boy, about that first clip when he finds out his dad, Dr. Carl, has been uh, put to death by death sport or he has been placed. He has been captured and put into death sport. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> oh god man that Again. Is he just crumpled Again. that paper he crumpled it he was so mad he was so mad now let's at the end of the movie of course he is in our new our our, our city of triton where he said he was always supposed to go he was yeah. meant to go to triton route. And he says to Claudia Jennings, he has a moment there on the CalArts campus uh-huh. where he has his final denouement, and oh. it is touching. Let's hit that clip. Be powerful, Marcus. Stay well. Veneer, I don't know how to thank you. Poor Cass. I, I feel that. Ooh. I feel the emotion there. Feels. I mean, that is... I have goosebumps. He is emoting. Oh, he I, is pain. Goosebumps right He's here. Saying, you Ooh. saved my life, and I'm really feeling that. And I felt it. I mean, I almost, I'm i not going to lie. I almost wept. Uh, oh. I'm not afraid to say it. I, I, I don't know what happened to Will Walker after this movie, but he did not do much after this. Mm. And then he just disappeared from acting. Where mm. are you, Will Walker? That was Please be a guest on our show. Please. Yeah. Please. We're need you to come back for Death World anyway. Things we hated. I mean, do we have time? I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Erica, let's start with you. Mm. Things you hated. Things I hated. Ooh, that's actually a tough one. Uh, because this movie was just, uh, there's so many things. It's hard to narrow it down. Mm-hmm. I guess, I mean, we've kind of already touched on the sound. The sound was super irritating. Hated that for sure. Um, I think I'm going to go ahead and say the thing I hated the most um, was the costumes. Mm. I was really, really bummed about the costumes. I really felt like they didn't make a lot of sense to me. They seemed really barbaric. It seemed like the costumes were so fun and kitschy in Death Race 2000 that to then see what they were wearing in this just felt lazy i didn't care for it i would have honestly seen them wear next to nothing than the weirdness that they wore because it was like some people were very dressed and it was very elaborate and the you know drivers of the motorcycle death machines were like covered head to toe but then the guides were wearing these sort of robes and you know white sort of bell-bottom pants it just it didn't there was no rhyme or reason to it. So I think, you know, it's petty, 
but that's what I hated. Sorry, Jane Rum. Yeah. Who did the costumes for that and yeah. also did the costumes for Halloween 3. Hmm. Um, Mark, things you hated. Uh, yeah, I mean, the sound effects just drove me nuts. It, it really did. Um, and I think anyone that watches is going to say that. So it's, it's super easy to say that. They had about um, I'm gonna say hours to do the sound uh, from the sound mixing. So that, that should come to no surprise. It's always important to put a lot yeah. of pressure on the sound. Yes, yes. Hey, yeah. we had weeks and months so, this movie, but can we get the sound, I don't know, by three? The sound mix. I'm going to say the sound mix. <laughs> they certainly added the sound, but it's the mixing that they only had a limited amount of yeah. time. Sound is only 50% of every movie, so I'm glad that you just cut corners there. Yeah. But I would say <clears throat> the thing that I, was, that I hated the most is Claudia Jennings was in The Great Dynamite Chase, which is a movie we have reviewed, but it's another New World movie sure. that I really, really like. And I was just bummed that she ended up in this movie. It's, I, I honestly, I kind of like this movie. It's crazy and it doesn't make sense. And it's, it's just like, if you want to put on a movie cause, and you're really hungover and you're like, I want to watch something that I don't have to pay a lot of ten- a lot of attention to. Or alternately, I, as high as David Carradine was throughout the production. Exactly. Then this is a great movie. But The Great Dynamite Chase is such a better movie. She and, actually coming off of uh, another New World movie. She had just finished Moonshine County Express with John Saxon. I haven't seen that, Saxon. so I don't know that. Oh, John Saxon. John Saxon, oh, yeah. Rest in peace. We'll be talking about him a whole bunch in this podcast because he's done many New World movies. But Love that guy. Yeah. Um, But yeah. uh, So shall we... uh, Let me do quickly... Let's get through the research corner. How about that? Ryan's research corner! Oh, shit. Ryan just got on a death machine. (laughs) all right uh um okay so um we got a we got a pretty big story to get to in this but i just want to kind of go through a few notes obviously this was co-written and was directed by nicholas nisifor or nisifor who this he was a usc grad he had obviously as we mentioned never seen a new world movie was unfamiliar with both of the stars was uh, actually unfamiliar with a lot of movies. He grew up, uh, he was born in the U.S., but was raised mostly in Germany and Switzerland. And actually, they didn't have TV in Europe at the time. So he didn't see a movie until 1959. So um, now he says that, he uh, he has says that himself. I would call a slight amount of bullshit because he did go to USC and did get a degree in making films. So I think, yeah, maybe you got a late start, but you know, you went to film school. But in any case, um, he obviously, Alan Arkish came on to do the reshoots, worked on that for a long time. Nicefor wrote the movie, and I don't see much information about this guy with Donald E. Stewart. He also wrote uh, New World's Jackson County Jail. And he wrote some of the Jack Ryan movies or co-wrote them. And he won an Academy Award for the adaptation screenplay for Missing. Which is, uh, I know a movie that Mark and I saw back in the day. Uh, it's got Jack Lemon. Jack Lemon, not Chris Lemon. Jack Lemon, the dad. Chris Lemon being... Missing. Uh, missing. 
Mm. Yeah, think about it. When you see the poster, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Hold on, I got I to gotta look this up. Hold on. Hold on. Look it up. We will pause so we can easily cut <clears throat> Uh, this is a 2003 movie with Tommy Lee Jones and Kate Blanchett. Nope, um, nope, not that Western. No, no. Uh, Jack Lemon, Sissy Spacek. Yep. Yep, yep, got it. All right, yep. Yep, I'm with you. Okay, continue. So he co-wrote the script, but I can't really find much about it. Alan Arkish doesn't say much about him in terms of the screenplay. So I don't know what to either congratulate or condemn. But, you know, uh, and he's passed on in 1999. But, uh, you know, if he came up with those great lines that I that I said earlier, then then great job by him. Um, so we're starting to get a bit of an idea of what went wrong on this movie. But a big part of what went wrong is uh, Nisiphor's relationship with David Carradine and with Claudia Jennings. Um, if you want to, by the way, think about what, what what part of the movie was Alan Arkish's, just look at David Carradine's beard. Because it's pretty clear when they did the reshoots, because they only had 21 days to shoot this movie before um, David Carradine was supposed to shoot another movie, Circle of Iron, uh, which is a martial arts movie that was... Uh, a script that was written by co-written by Bruce Lee back in the day before he passed away. So they, sh- they he was supposed to be in it too. He was supposed to be in it. Yeah. So David yeah. Carradine was in it and he was off to go shoot that movie afterwards. He had to come back and do reshoots reshoots and his, his beard is significantly longer, but in any case, um, this is also, by the way, uh, the end of David or uh, David Carradine's five picture deal with Roger Corman. So you can tell by his performance, if it wasn't clear enough, his performance says it all. I am about ready to finish this. He had now shot movies with Hal Ashby and he had just come off of shooting a movie with Ingmar Bergman called The Serpent's Egg. And he was clearly not into being into the sequel to Death Race 2000, um, which is pretty clear. Now, what happened was there was some incident with Claudia Jennings and Claudia Jennings was brought to this movie by the studio, as Mark had said, she was in a couple other New World movies, but she was also the girlfriend of Gary Graver, who was the cameraman. He actually was a cameraman to a bunch of movies that we'll talk about in New World. He'd done a bunch of stuff, but he was also more famously, uh, he was the cameraman for Orson Welles in the latter part of his life and shot the more recently released The Other Side of the Wind, which is on Netflix. Um, But he was sort of like... Now that's some poetry. There you go. The other side. The, of the other wind. side of the wind, which like, I imagine is a place where the sand like, blows forever. Yeah. Right. Like sand in the wind. Yeah. Keep moving. Like, on the other side of the wind, the sand blows even farther. Yeah. Uh, and he, I don't know. Cut, I'm going to cut that. I'm going to cut all that. <laughs> now, um, what happened was that apparently he was not very nice to Claudia Jennings, and this pissed off David Carradine. Um. So let me see what David Carradine said. Carradine did an uh, interview with Psychotronic Video, and then he wrote a letter in response, and he mentioned that Nisiphor was not a good choice, as he had been in Vietnam, and probably shouldn't have been around a movie with lots of explosions, Mm. and mentioned that Nisiphor physically, quote-unquote, physically attacked Jennings at one point, to which Carradine said he, quote, beat up Nick for his pains, end quote. Now, um... 
uh, Nisiphor also wrote uh, in response, and he basically talks about how when he started Death Race, uh, he was so excited because he was coming out of film school. This is the first thing, but he had not seen anybody's movies. He wasn't allowed to see Death Race because, of course, there was no physical video at that point. There was, the video market had not uh, happened, and they wouldn't even set up a screening because it cost too much money. Um, and I said he hadn't really seen a lot of uh, movies. In fact, when he first met Carradine, he went to his house to talk about the script, and Carradine was was practicing his nunchucks and wanted to talk about the script, but Nisiphor does not know what the word is of nunchucks. So he actually calls them several bars of hard wood connected to the, at their ends by chain links. <laughs> so... Well, that is what they are. Yes. He is not wrong. He's not wrong. Okay. Well described. However, they're called nunchucks. He did not know what the word was. It, they're it, called nunchucks? They're called I always nunchucks. thought they were called numchucks. <laughs> nope. They're called nunchucks. Huh. Thank you, Dom. <laughs> All right. Let, uh, now, he, as numchucks. Uh, nunchucks. Nunchucks are pronounced nunchucks. Okay, everyone. Mystery solved. Good night, everybody. We figured it out. (laughs) Nick, if you're listening, they're called... (laughs) We have this decades-old mystery solved. (laughs) This cold case has been solved, my friend. They're called nunchucks. Um... Uh, so as they spoke to it, here's the crazy story. As they spoke more about the script and Carradine got got into what he didn't like about the script, he got closer and closer with the nunchucks. Nisiphor clearly was uncomfortable and Carradine could see that, so he backed off. But in the chair that Nisiphor was sitting, in comes Carradine's dog and takes a giant crap. Now, Nisiphor says this dog was probably like 150 pounds, so use your imagination on what the size of this crap Carradine apparently takes the dog was very upset puts down the nunchucks grabs the dog puts his nose in the poop then lifts him up and throws him off the balcony what according to his story according to his story just tossed him off the balcony he was a big dog so I'm assuming that he lived how high of a balcony was this? I don't know. I don't know how high up he was. Wow. How high up was David Carradine? Uh, he was probably pretty high. Uh, I don't know. Up, how high up, up, up. How high up. <laughs> He's probably pretty high. Allegedly high up. Now, as you recall from last week's episode, or la- our last episode of The Evil, you can survive a two-story fall. <laughs> so, yes. Yes. Nice. It all depends on how that dog landed. Now, uh, he says that as they got into production, three days in, he could already see problems began because he didn't do drugs. So he didn't really understand, uh, you know, that Claudia Jennings was high as a kite. He did know that Carradine was high because Carradine was smoking on set. He was smoking pot everywhere. He didn't care where he was smoking pot. But um, he says that it was affecting her performance to do cocaine and drink a lot of vodka. And he uh, approached her about it. And when he approached her about it, she said she admitted it. And she said, he said, you need to stop because it's affecting your performance. So she called Corman. And he uh, and Corman did send his assistant, Karen Singer, to the set to talk to Carradine, who apparently pitched a fit and disappeared into his trailer and wouldn't come out. Um, so that's kind of the difficulties that he's saying. Now, he we're getting into this incident where he uh, supposedly physically attacked Claudia Jennings. When he gets to that, he says... 
that they were shooting a scene where she was riding a motorcycle and she wanted to do all her stunts. And she was driving the motorcycle and she's being chased by two stunt drivers. Two statement, if you will. Remember statement in the beginning of the monologue? That's what those exactly. officers were. You don't you I have don't no idea. Them. I do not remember. Anyway, they're chasing her and she's going towards the camera and she's very wobbly. It's very unsafe. And he has to scream, stop, because he's not he's afraid they're going to run right into her. And he basically um, he goes to he goes, approaches her and he finds out, listen, smells her breath. OK, she's drinking. She's probably coked, coked up as well. And he says he that he tried to physically remove her from the bike, quote, for her safety, he says. Um, later than, and later they were doing another motorcycle shot with Jennings, not on the motorcycle. They used a stunt double. And after, uh, oh, wait, 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 I'm skipping. Um, but he says that's all it was, was him trying to physically remove her. She actually was, uh, so let's go back to for her safety, quote unquote. Um, then, uh, two, the two stuntmen, actually the ones that remove her from the, from the bike, he tried to grab her, but he didn't. So the, the, the stuntmen actually remove her. He also says that Carradine wasn't there. Gary Graver, her boyfriend, wasn't there. And uh, nor was Jesse Vint, who was another actor in the movie. He played Polna. And Carradine said he would have beaten her up if Carradine hadn't, because he was pretty pissed off about stuff. In fact, he says something in Mind Warp, um, Christopher Keating's book about the Roger Corman era of New World. He says that, um, he basically says that, you know, uh, nice of four was pretty messed up from Vietnam. And then he was screaming at Claudia Jennings one day and I could hear it from my dressing room. I stepped out and heard some commotions. And by the time I got there, David Carradine had done one of his karate kicks Oh, and sent Nick flying through the air. Um, not quite the case, but we'll get to what I think he's talking about that Carradine did. Um, so in another day, they're shooting a scene with uh, with Jennings stunt double on a motorcycle. And after Nisephore called cut, David uh, goes after him, eventually tackling him from behind, but never actually hitting him. So Carradine was pulled off by two, the two stuntmen. Um, and as Nisephore was being driven off the set, Carradine jumps on top of the car hood and punches the windshield with his gloved hand, which... Uh, which doesn't it doesn't completely shatter the windshield, but it does crack it quite a bit. Damn. But they're still able to drive away from the whole scene. Um, so then, nice for it was uh, almost quit. Uh, let me see. I, I'm off on my notes. Okay, so he almost quit, but then he decides to go back. He almost quit there after he punches the windshield. But he goes back to set, and then while preparing to shoot a scene where Carradine is preparing or was was doing a fight scene with a with a stuntman, he was looking through the lens of Gary Graver's camera, and then he says, "Carradine quote hit me with a karate fist in the right eye socket as soon as he had stood up, and he had to be taken to the hospital. He eventually has to get like a doctor to reset his nose and do a surgery for three hours. Now he almost he had to go to the hospital." He all, he almost left again, but he still returned to the set and finished principal photography. Um, so bef good. before Carradine leaves for Circle of Iron, and he and then later is asked to do reshoots by Corman, but he declines because he doesn't want to work with Carradine again. Uh, and then when he says 
Carradine said that his Vietnam background was an impediment. He says Alan Arkish is the one who did all of the explosions. Well, throw the clip in there. Um, <laughs> not and not night before. So he didn't do any of those. So I think the karate kick that that Jesse Vint is talking about is him doing the karate fist. I happen to love the fact that he called it a karate fist, which is why I have to quote him did the karate fist to his, to his, to his head. But he said basically that he was never beat up by Carradine. He starts off this letter by saying he was never beat up by Carradine, then gets in later to the karate fist to the face. Then he gets in later to how he was beat up by Carradine. Yeah, basically. He never beat me up. He just karate fisted my face. He didn't and, beat me up. And to no surprise. You absolutely sound like a person who was beat up. Yeah. You described it Can, as a karate you, you never fist. beat me up, dude. You never beat. You just hit me in the eye once. And I had to go to the doctor and I had to get a surgery done because you I broke my nose. I did a three-hour surgery from your karate fist. But you didn't beat me up. Like, no, you got, you dude, got your ass beat. No, you got your, you got your ass beat by David Carradine. He also never directed again. This is it. He never directs again. He did write a movie called Fatal Charm, a 1990 thriller, which was directed by Fritz Kirsch of Tough Turf fame. Mm. Oh, Fritz Kirsch. Can we get to talk about that? Can we review that? I don't think that's a movie we can talk about. Also, uh, that movie is uh, was apparently, it's Fritz Kirsch being the director, but it's also credited to Alan Smithy. So that's... Smithy. So that's that's the name that directors use when they want to take their name off a movie, and so we can mm. just kind of infer what maybe Fritz Kirsch thinks about so that. So it's going to be amazing. So let's uh, when this when we get through every New World movie, that's the first one on the list. Mark yeah. it, everyone. Write it down in your calendars. We're going to get there. Twenty twenty four. We're in. Fatal we're charm. Doing it. Fatal charm. Everybody. He did um, bring... I don't know, though. We might be mid-production on Death World, so, you know. Uh, that's true. That's true. So the other element... 25 before we get to Tough Turf. <laughs> so the other element... Well, we've already done Tough Turf. That was the last episode. Or whatever we were just talking about. No, no, no. Don't... No, Tough Turf hasn't come out yet. Why are we talking about Tough Turf? We will have. about it. We will have by the time we air this. Now, so uh... if you can tell, this is... Roger Corman... <laughs> Edit all that out. <laughs> Roger Corman obviously took a lot of chances on a lot of directors, and this because they were cheap, right? Yeah, and took a lot of chances, aka you get what you pay for. And sometimes when you take a chance, you know, you get Martin Scorsese doing uh, Boxcar Bertha, or you get Ron Howard doing uh, Grand Theft Auto, or Eat My Dust. Uh, or, but I don't think Nicholas Nisifor was probably the best choice for this movie. Now, Charles B. Griffith, who wrote, um, who wrote, was co-writer of Death Race 2000, wrote like three drafts of this script, but apparently Corman didn't like it. So that's why he hired Nisifor to rewrite it. And by the time he had to rewrite, he apparently only had two weeks to rewrite, produce the movie. And Alan Arkish says, like, in his defense, in the commentary, like you need to have more than two weeks to make a movie in Roger Corman's system. You have to prepare a lot in advance to be able to come in and shoot for almost no money because you can't kind of wing it. And uh, and the other thing that Nisifor says in his notes is that he was excited when he got into the in, but three days in, problems began, and he starts uh, saying that it was the cast and crew. In fact, at one point in his letter. 
Uh, he, he says delay after delay by cast and the crew kept causing the film to fall behind schedule. So he was clearly like throwing dirt on everyone else but himself. So anyway, that is some explanation as to why this movie is a bit of a disaster and makes almost no sense. Uh, favorite scene. I'm I'm going to say, and I've already talked about it, the final sword battle scene, because I just love that. Part four. I mean, cool. They they made a, a a great scene that could have been really really bad. Yes, yes. Nick, um, Erica, favorite scene? Oh, without a doubt, my favorite scene is uh, the rescue of the little girl from within the cave of the of the bug eyed creatures. Sorry, Chris Howell, you will not keep this girl. Yeah, loved it. Loved everything about it. Loved the reminder to Marcus that he should use his blaster. <laughs> Loved the how easy yet also how hard it was to fight them away. It seemed at times super easy to knock them down and knock them out. And then other times they were very difficult to pin down. I loved everything about that. How easy it was to free the little girl. <laughs> so uh, if you also notice, they say in the commentary, there's actually only like five dudes playing those mutants. So they reused a lot of those guys. A lot of those guys get killed. Hmm. My favorite scene is actually the San Pedro scene where they shoot uh they 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 shoot that little chase where we we use the tie fighter noise um in and again in um Roger Corman's autobiography Alan Arkish talks about it like this um he says he founds this great thing in San Pedro that's a missile base uh it looks futuristic with silos and bunkers but it's only about 50 yards long. So this is just a little bit of uh, uh, Roger Corman telling you how he does things. So he tells Alan Arkish, here's what you do. Have a couple sheets of thin plywood painted with cement paint. Put them in the foreground and it'll look like different turns and alleys. Paint them different colors. We'll get some barrels, paint them red and white, paint danger symbols on them. Shoot a drive-by and then put the concrete thing in front. Shoot another drive-by, then put the barrels in front. Shoot another drive-by, then to put the barrels on fire and shoot another drive-by. Before you know it, you'll have enough drive-bys and footage to put a chase together. Whenever a motorcycle stops running, throw it against one of the walls and blow it up. And that is exactly what they do in that scene. <laughs> That's amazing. Hey, Alan uh, Arkis says, I finished on a Thursday, showed on the film on Monday. It was awful. He said... Very good. <laughs> uh, I, that's amazing. I, I'm going to say, actually, a runner-up to my uh, uh, thing I loved uh, was the second in-home strip club scene with a woman that we've never been introduced to. Right. That's just stripping fully naked. Right. We never see again. And we're like, where did this person come from? And she's and the one that kills him. The she brings him into the stripper scene. That's when he dies. What is right, that? but we're like, where did she come where from? She? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that she was Mrs. Carl. <laughs> and that was Could her. Be. That was her Could revenge. Be. Yeah. That was that was that right. was sweet Ms. revenge. Ms. Carl, you Ms. you Dr. do Carl. not mess mess with the Carls. Yeah, Carlses. You don't mess with the Carls. You don't mess with the Carlses. They yeah. will get you. Eventually, the son will remember he has a blaster. Yeah. The dad will die somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> somewhere along the line. And the mom will kill the king. Yeah. 
the Lord. Oh, the original plot. The, the original Lord. plot. He's the, Lord. The, original, Lord. the original title of this movie was Don't Mess with the Carls. <laughs> <laughs> now, Carl, it was actually then changed to Carl Sport. And then yeah. it was changed to Death Sport. Uh, no, before that, it was Carl's song. And then Death Sport. Right. Too close to Brian's song. Essentially, it was the same plot at that point, too. <laughs> Those are the Charles B. Griffith drafts. Or as we as we talked about it in the Death Race 2000 podcast, the Harls. The C. Right, the C. Griffith draft. Harls. <laughs> All right. Well, that is it for this particular episode. We really went through it for the old Death Sport. Um, that is it for us on the New World Podcast. Really? Well, wait. Surprised that you aren't going to ask us about our pairings. Oh my gosh, pairings. I completely forgot of our brand new segment, pairings. I'm so glad, Erica, that you're here. <laughs> oh my God, thanks, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> First time for everything. <laughs> um, pairings, yes. This is a segment that is fairly new, but it's like on a lot of podcasts, they have this kind of thing where you take the movie that you're talking about and try to pair it with another movie as if there's going to be a double feature. We, This is not really the most unique thing that we it do was, on the show it was very but new world of you to just steal pairings from someone else yes rebrand yes thank have you me pop a titty and now right. it's our version of pairings yeah when this goes video people will see more how much you do yeah. the show topless i will get stunt boobs though <laughs> and they will be glorious <laughs> so uh for pairings uh erica why don't you talk about your pairing oh thank you ryan i'd love to oh um my pairing with uh you know you would think that I would want to pair Death Sport with uh, Death Race 2000. But no, no, no. no I no, would no. pair Death Sport with 1986's Rad. Wow. Why? Wow. You know, the dirt bikes. The bikes. The dirt, just the dirt for the dirt bikes? Just for the bikes. Got That's it. That's it. That's the pairing. You know, you love bikes uh, and you think, uh, you know, you love Billy Allen and uh, Lori Laughlin. Pre scandal, then, you know. Rad. Rad uh, and Death Sport. Vinegar Syndrome has just put out a 4K release of Rad, but it is already sold out. So Woo! tough one to come by nowadays. Yeah, there you, you go. Really have to, you really have to suck it up and, and pay a lot on eBay to get to get that now. But Rad. So for my pairing, um, I'm actually going to steal yet again, uh, because I'm going to steal something that you talked about and almost used for a pairing in a previous episode. And of course, I'm talking about Turbo Kid. Oh! As you may know, the situation is critical. We have reached maximum casualty level. Who exactly are you supposed to be? Turbo Rider. This is it, soldier. We have to hit these sand machines with everything we've got. Find them, kill them, and lead back their heads on pikes. I'm meeting up with an old mate. We're going to strike the Zeus. Ah, what do you say? Yes, uh, Turbo Kid. So it is a, again, it's set in the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. He rides around on That's a bike. That's a good one. That's a really good one. Uh, it's actually a much better apocalyptic movie than this. 
Uh, I hate to say that. Well, I, I thought you were, to be honest, I thought you were about to say it's actually a much better movie than what you picked. <laughs> <laughs> and to that, I would say, I agree. I should I, have said it for this one. I don't know. Uh, Brad is a pretty great movie. Um, yeah. But I I think Turbo Kid is a really, really good film. Yeah, good it's one. about a kid who's living in the wasteland and he finds, uh, he's obsessed with um, the Turbo Rider mm-hmm. and he finds a suit and he's able to like blast dudes. And he, anyway, it's dude, yeah. it's so good. And it has some great gore effects. Mm-hmm. It's got some great villains. It's, it's really, it's obviously a little bit the more. The soundtrack is actually really the good. The soundtrack, yes, by <laughs> Lamatos is extremely good. And um, I, uh, and I, you know, it's, it's really more Mad Max maybe than obviously Death Sport was, was made before Mad Max. So uh, couldn't have been influenced by it. But in fact, I think Death Race 2000 was sort of a, an inspiration somewhat for Mad Max. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but really good movie. And uh, I think they would make a great pairing. Now, Mark, uh, I think uh, I think with all that said, you've seen what we've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've seen what we've picked, and I I feel like this is your week to uh, make a pairing. So let's hear what you got. What what's your pairing for Death Sport? Well, I think you know this one I had a hard time with because there's so much that you could pair with it, but um, you know most of this movie is as we've talked about. Yamaha street bikes, late seventies. Uh, some of them were older street bikes. Okay, a lot of them didn't work. Um, but yet there was at that time a lot of appeal and a lot of desire for street bikes. Okay, um, so we're talking about street bike movie in the late seventies. Okay, I'm excited. I'm excited where this is going. So go. I'm saying if you're if you're looking for a street bike, okay, movie. Uh, then I think what you want is uh, to roll up to that movie in a Honda GL 1000 no. Goldwing. No, Mark. Because I'm saying the Goldwing at the time, yeah, think about Mark, it, you no. had an electronic start. It was a thousand CCs, no. even though it was only four no, cylinders. Mark, you're supposed to pick a movie. You, you had, had, you had it was so close. Hold on. Hold on. Yep, you I had this. disc brakes. It was reliable. No, no, no. Yes, okay, you can right. you, no, you no, no. get a photo Guzzi no. or a, or a Harley Davidson. Okay, uh, that is the episode this week, guys. Yeah, uh, no. save that for Mark's Mark, room room just, podcast. Yeah, yep, that is Mark. You got to just listen to the podcast or something and figure out what this segment is. Damn My it, God. Mark! Jesus. All right. Uh, so you can find us on the socials. We're on uh, Twitter. Please find us and, and talk to us there. But you can also find us wherever you find podcasts. Rate and review us, please, on uh, iTunes. Apple uh, is a big help for us. You can also find us on Spotify. Yeah, find us on Spotify. They have podcasts. You can also find us on Stitcher and anywhere you can find podcasts, but mostly those three. So find us there for another episode of the New World Podcast. Mostly, we just blew up motorcycles. Lots of them.